children are going to learn, and we're going to stay in here and turn, return once more to the book of Daniel. We're in our fourth week now dissecting Daniel, and we've been doing it now methodically, one chapter at a time, and we've been looking at and finding some remarkable faith by four young men, teenagers, if you will, the names of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In the series so far, we have observed that not only are these men demonstrating their commitment and loyalty and steadfastness of a relatively young age, not only are they demonstrating their steadfastness and faithfulness and loyalty, but so we've been finding likewise by, by, by part of God on these young men. So in our messages so far, we've been finding a repetitive theme we'll find throughout the book of Daniel in our series. The theme again is this, that God is in control. He is all-knowing and rules over all nations and rulers, and that God will deliver the faithful who follow him. We've been seeing especially that last part, that God will deliver the faithful who follow him in the actions so far of all these four young men in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And then today we see even further evidence of this particular theme by looking into a very popular account of Daniel's friends. Daniel is not actually in the story today in the third chapter, but his three friends are in the chapter and play a vital role. It's an account that's probably very familiar with you. You may have heard before about how Nebuchadnezzar actually places certain demands upon these three young men and all the people. They actually do not commit to Nebuchadnezzar, but rather stand fast to God. And as a result, they get thrown into a fiery furnace. So you may have heard about the story before. Today we'll read a portion of it and re-familiarize ourselves with the story. But before we read the third chapter, we should also remind ourselves of not only the fact that these three young men play a vital role, but also then to transfer our mind into establishing what their identity is according to their Babylonian names. Because from this point forward, their Hebrew names of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah will no longer be mentioned. So we go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, and find again their new names, their Babylonian names. Hananiah will be called Shadrach, Mishael shall be called Meshach, and Azariah will be called Abednego. That's the three names we'll keep hearing in the next chapter of our reading today. Also, it is worth mentioning that last week at the end of the message in chapter 2, we found that Daniel had correctly interpreted the dream and that he had given all that to King Nebuchadnezzar, and as a result, they were not slain with the rest of the wise men. They were all be able to survive, but they're also then, because Daniel and his friends were able to supply the information to King Nebuchadnezzar, they were all given prestigious positions, and Daniel made a request to the king at the end of chapter 2, he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their new names we identified them with today, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. All that then is establishing and setting up the third chapter, which we go to today we find another popular illustration of not only commitment of, to the one true God, but also today we see courage of these three young men. So let's now turn to Daniel chapter 3. You may already be there. Daniel chapter 3 in this entirety is 30 verses. We're going to read them all, but not in the beginning. We're going to touch upon them all in particular segments and sections, but this morning to give us a flavor of what's happening in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read the first 12 verses together. So stand with me this morning. If you're able to, if we can be able to read the first 12 verses, and we'll read some other segments of Daniel chapter 3 as the time permits and as we get closer to application. So Daniel chapter 3, in verse 1, 
we find these words. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King, King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipes, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship, shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forth and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden images that you have set up. We'll finish more of the story in just a moment. But let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for how we can receive the message today that you chose for us to hear as pertains to Daniel's three friends, Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We pray, Lord, to look upon these three young men and the actions they will have and what we'll see from the rest of this story of their courage, that we would also have the same courage when we're put to a test as these young men will be. When we face that test in life, Lord, we'll have the same courage and the same commitment and loyalty, devotion and love to you as defined with the actions of these guys. So, Lord, speak to us today. Let us receive your message and allow the Spirit to now lead and guide and direct us so we can stand devoted to you in whatever may come Whatever persecution we may face from it, Lord, let's just welcome it and receive it because you know you are with us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've only read a little portion of what's about to happen. We'll get into more in just a little bit. But in the first 12 verses, I mean, it starts off telling us of a wonderful, great story of faithfulness. Of three young men who courageously stood firm in their devotion and their loyalty. And they chose to remain determined in their position and not to bow to any God but the same God that we serve. As we go back to the text, we find three particular points 
expressed in one simple word for application here this morning. And the first one is simple. It's pride. We see pride in the very beginning of the chapter. Because King Nebuchadnezzar greatly desires for everyone, all peoples, all languages, all nations, for everyone to honor his God. He is very proud of the image of the God he has created. So much so that he demands for everyone to make it their God and to bow and worship. Now, we should remind ourselves, according to verse 1, what exactly Nebuchadnezzar has built. I mean, he's, verse 1 tells us it's an image of gold, its height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. Now, in our day and time, we don't measure in cubits. Of course, we measure in feet and so forth and so on. So we translate a cubit from 18 inches into modern-day understanding, and it tells us that the image of gold that he has created is 90 feet tall. And nine feet wide. An impressive statue has been built of gold, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. But I think about that and I think, well, that's a bit extravagant, isn't it? I mean, isn't that really a bit much? I mean, if we read in the Old Testament, when Moses or Aaron, his brother, created the golden calf, we don't read it was 90 feet tall. When we get the picture, it was much smaller in size. So to me, when you build a golden image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide like he has done here, I think that's a bit extravagant. It may be impressive. I actually found a picture, a picture behind me you're going to see of the artist's rendering of what it may have looked like of the particular day and time when Nebuchadnezzar built this 90 foot tall, 9 foot wide golden image. And you can see people actually in front of it beginning to bow when they hear the music. I'm thinking that's overkill. I mean, I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to imagine then, if I would have been alive that day in time, like these three young men, standing before it, gazing at it, looking upon it, I mean, I might have, I would not have bowed, perhaps like these three, but I'm looking upon it and thinking, okay, that maybe is a very impressive sight. Much like it may be many years ago, when Sheila and I had a chance to go to Effingham, Illinois, and see the second largest cross in America, known as the Cross of the Crossroads. I got a picture of it as well. The Cross of the Crossroads. It's actually very impressive. You may have seen the Cross of the Crossroads when you get a chance to see it behind me. It's actually 198 feet tall and 113 feet wide. Very impressive when you walk up on it. A truly remarkable structure. I learned it was forged out of 180 tons of steel anchored in the untold amount of cement. The cross can withstand winds in excess of 145 miles per hour. Truly impressive. But that also then pales in comparison to the Arch of St. Louis. Another impressive landmark. I mean, there's hardly a more recognizable landmark in the Midwest than the Arch of St. Louis. It is a remarkable 630 feet high. It's a monument to Thomas Jefferson and his idea for America's westward expansion. The St. Louis Gateway Arch is still the tallest arch in the entire world. All impressive sights. And perhaps if we were living in that particular day and time as these three young men and seeing this golden image, we might have equally said this is impressive to look upon. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seemed to be not so impressed. 
and they refuse to bow to the image the king has built. Which makes them, to go back to the story and read more, the actions of the king, it makes them very angry. They built this massive thing of gold, 90 feet tall. He commands everybody to bow. These three young men do not, and the king is furious. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So notice in these verses, as the young men did not initially bow to this impressive image that King Nebuchadnezzar had built, in his form of grace, Nebuchadnezzar himself offered him a second chance in verses 14 and 15. But the young men remained steadfast, and they're going to answer no in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I like this, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that he has set up. They're just flat out not going to do it. Imagine if you were there in that particular day and time, and everybody else around you, I mean everybody, is bowing to this image. I mean, the peer pressure a lot of times sets in our lives, and we cave, and we begin to join the crowd, because we like to be liked, we like to be popular, to be in the crowd, you know, we're one of the people. If you were there, would you have given in? Especially when the king gives you a second chance, like, dude. Bro, you better do it, or this time I'm serious. I'm going to throw you in the furnace. Sister, do you get me? And then you might have caved, maybe. But these men do not. They say, no, Kebenezer, we're not going to do it. Our God that we believe in, that we honor, that we're faithful and loyal to, he will deliver us. If not, we're still going to be able to not want to do it. Well, quick look at verse 19, a few verses to follow again now shows the king's reaction. Abruptly changed towards the men. Verse 19. He was already furious. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. 
I mean, these verses reveal for us the king has had enough. He's done with her attitude. He's done with her refusal to bow. He says, get the furnace ready, fellas. It's time for these guys who are not understanding what I want. They're, they're not doing what I want them to do. It's time for them to learn a lesson. And I'm going to show you what happens when you do not honor my God. That's the essence of what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. I mean, how mad is the king that tells us in the text that he, he's so mad he orders that the furnace becomes seven times hotter than normal? And I don't know if we can actually comprehend that, but let's kind of put it in perspective. Because when we think of a furnace, we're thinking of maybe our home furnace. But this is not your home furnace. It means common, the scholars suggest, these types of furnaces referred to in the text that particular day were used to heat brick. Most scholars even suggest that the brick kiln that went from a temperature of 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit to 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. Did you hear that? 2,000 degrees, basically. I don't know that we can comprehend 2,000 degrees, especially when he says he wants it now seven times hotter, which is debatable if it's even possible. So allow me to insert this speculated that seven times hotter could be figurative for making it the maximum heat. But nonetheless, it's hot. It's really hot. This is a furnace, not like we have ever seen, perhaps, that heats up to 2,000 degrees to heat brick. It's really, really hot. You with me? It's really, really hot. Say it's really hot. Like you mean it, it's really hot. Yeah, it is. It's really hot. And we can't relate to that. I mean, listen, in Indiana, this summer, it's going to be a day when it gets about 100 degrees. I don't want it to happen no time soon, but it's going to happen. Then the humidity is going to kick in. It's going to feel like 115, right? You've been there? We don't even like it when that happens. So we can't understand 2,000 degrees. When I was living in Texas, we actually had 100 days in a row of 100 degree, 100 degree heat. When I moved to Mississippi in 1999, I moved down there thinking, how do people live down here when it's this stinking hot? We can't comprehend heat. We don't like heat. This is 2,000 degrees. You with me? Say it's really hot. It is. That's right. 2,000 degrees. And because we can't comprehend it, we ask ourselves, well, how can this be? How can the temperature be this high? The temperature of the furnace are controlled, as scholars understand, by a number of bellows or, or blowers maybe like even modern-day furnaces, that forces heat into the firing chamber. Therefore, sevenfold was achieved by seven bellows pumping at the same time. So while that makes it possible for the furnace to have an extremely amount of high heat, it's also possible the expression seven times hotter than usual may just refer to make it as hot as you possibly can. Or the seven means completeness, just get it done. But any way you want to slice it, we recognize it's hot. And Nebuchadnezzar orders some of the mighty men in verse 20 of his army to bound the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and prepare to throw them in. Now go back to the text and look and make note. It's important that you see this. 
that the three young men are bound. Verse 21 says they have the robes, the turbans, all that are bound together. They're tied together, not tied together, but they're tied and they're thrown into the blazing furnace. I mean, really, if you read the text, it's like the king is so mad, so furious at the refusal to bow that he wastes no time. In fact, the king was so urgent to throw them in the fire that the soldiers who went to throw them in, they're burned. There's nothing to protect them with, and they die. The soldiers, in verse 22, that throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this big furnace, consumed by the fire, by the flames. But after being killed, the men somehow, some way, I mean, they still get the men, the three of men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're still thrown into the furnace. So let's recap. Nebuchadnezzar created a golden image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, commanded for everyone when they hear the music to bow to the image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. He gives them a second chance. They still refuse to bow. The king becomes furious, orders the furnace to be heated as much as possible, perhaps seven times greater, and he asked the men of his army to throw him into the furnace. So as we think about it, in the heat, we would think the men to be then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be mightily consumed, to be gone within seconds, right? I mean, the king has had his pride fulfilled and has now proven his might and has proven to everyone what will happen when you disobey. So now the men will perish. Right? 2,000 degrees. But that's not exactly what happens. The king is about to be astonished. And we lead to our second point. The one word to describe it is deliverance. Deliverance. What happens to young heroes of faith? God delivers his faithful servants out of the furnace. Verses 24 through 27, we see the miracle. Here it is. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. They were thrown into the furnace. How hot is it? 2,000 degrees. Pretty hot, right? He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. What a miracle. I mean, verse 24 sets it all up for us. Where it says the king was greatly astonished. Rose up in haste. Which reveals for us in the king, the king is expecting anything but what happens. He is not expecting the survival of the intense heat by these men. And it's like he leaps to his feet, like he's amazed and astonished at what has happened and what he's seen. It's like his eyes are deceiving him. He cannot believe what he sees. I mean, to confirm 
that he really is seeing what he thinks he sees. He has devised in verse 24, didn't you throw three men into the fiery furnace? And of course they say, yes, we did. But King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 25, says, I see four men walking, and they have no hurt, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And we have to stop now because it begs a little bit of elaboration. First observe this, how large the furnace must be. I mean, large enough that men can be walking around within the furnace. Secondly, notice this then. Curiously, how does King Nebuchadnezzar recognize the fourth looks like one of the sons of the gods? I mean, who is he talking about? If you look at the verse, interestingly, the phrase looks like a son of the gods, the word gods is not capitalized. Which then leads some to conclude or strongly suggest that it was merely an angel. However, others strongly believe it is literally the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, making an appearance more than 500 centuries before his earthly birth. And many people believe the fourth figure in the furnace of pre-incarnate Christ. Dr. David Jeremiah is one of those. He says, he wasn't merely like the Son of God. He was the Son of God. So if you support this particular thought, then perhaps we could just sum it all up by saying, not only does God preserve Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he joins them in the furnace. I mean, isn't our God amazing? I mean, isn't he just sovereign and mighty and powerful? We serve the same God as these three young men who leaped into the furnace. They just knew God would be with them in whatever happened. We serve an awesome, mighty, powerful God. But then notice again, then came King Nebuchadnezzar, astonished at the events that have transpired. In verse 26, go back to the text, he approaches the opening of the furnace. I mean, it wasn't like he was going to be burned up. He, you know, he's going to probably stay some distance away. He approaches the opening of the furnace and calls calls for the three men to come out. Verse 26, he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. I want you to note, if you will, the change in the king's demeanor. By reading the text, it's like he's no longer angry. I mean, only minutes ago, the king was so displeased at three young men, probably referring to them as rebels and traitors and other things. And now, they are servants of the Most High God, and notice how it's all capitalized. I mean, what a swing in the king's attitude. Notice in verse 27 how the word, God's word describes the men, were completely unharmed. The fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. The cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. Nothing singed, not a scorch, no smell of fire upon them. No smell of fire or smoke upon them. Now, listen, if you've been anywhere near a campfire, or anywhere near any kind of smoke. You ever notice when you actually go to a campfire 
or anything you're around to smoke. You, you, you walk around in circles to try to avoid the smoke. And it seems to follow you all the time, doesn't it? You can't really get away from it. And when you've been there any length of time at all, I mean within seconds and minutes, you can leave, go to Walmart, go in and say, dude, have you been near smoke? Have you been near a fire? Because it can smell on your clothes. You can even get it in your nose. You can't get rid of it. But these three young men have none of it. They have absolutely no smell of smoke upon their bodies. Their hair is not singed. Only thing missing from when they were thrown into the furnace is the ropes. Everything else is intact. No smoke. They don't smell like smoke. Nothing singed. Only the ropes are missing. We're going to ask ourselves, well, how can this be? MacArthur answers, the fire had no power. When God enacts a miracle, he supernaturally controls all the details so that his power is unmistakable and there is no other explanation. John MacArthur absolutely positively is right. When God enacts a miracle, he takes care of all the details. So his power is known to all. So with the men now out of the furnace, I mean, he called them out. Nothing was harmed. He fully inspected them, I imagine, and they're alive. The king is astonished. Only thing left to do was to praise God, which is point three, praise and reward. Praise is given to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and the house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. A wonderful story. Chapter 3, book of Daniel. You've probably heard it before. But these three young men completely trusted God. And because of their trust in, in God, they were willing to give up their life rather than serve or worship any other God except their own. Notice, if you will, in verse 29, of course, the king issued a decree. I mean, kings seem to be good at issuing decrees. Our president doesn't issue a decree, but he does all kinds of things very similar. Men of power, who they think they have power, are really good at making decrees and voicing authority. So he makes a de decree that basically says that no one, absolutely no one, according to his new decree, shall defame the God, our same God, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or it shall be cut in pieces. Then the king rewards the men and promotes them. That's the story. What an awesome story of faithfulness, of courage, of devotion, and loyalty of three young men. Again, they're teenagers. The three young men remain steadfast in their love and devotion to God. The question we must ask is this. 
How do you, in your life today, measure up to these men? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How do you measure up? Because we really, truly think about it, most of us fall way short. And consider these young men, again, relatively young age, made the right choice to trust and honor God, to believe in Him, and to be totally committed and faithful to Him. I mean, maybe these guys realized that they were going to face a fire. Listen to me. They were going to face a fire for either decision they made. Meaning that they're either going to face the fire of King Nebuchadnezzar or they're going to face the fire of hell for denouncing God. And think about the fact that the furnace of the king, the king furnace was seven times hotter. It means really hot. We acknowledge this. But that fire, so the men recognized, would only last a few seconds or minutes. Whereas the alternative fire, the burning fire and heat in hell, is everlasting. Maybe I need to repeat that. Perhaps these young men recognize that the 2,000 degrees of this fiery furnace, if they were thrown into it and were consumed, would only last a few minutes or seconds. Whereas the alternative fire, the burning fire in hell, would be everlasting. The question now becomes, when you are faced with choices, when you're faced with the test, will you pass the test? Which choice are you going to make when the test is given to you? This morning, we need to realize and recognize that there is a cost to following Jesus. The sacrifices must be made. Now, I pray that none of us will ever be put to this kind of test. But then again, perhaps someday we will, if not us, maybe one of our children or grandchildren. Because the world is becoming increasingly more intolerant to Christianity. So you may someday face a test. Maybe from a friend, maybe from a co-worker, maybe an employer, maybe a coach or teacher. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie God's Not Dead 2. But it's a powerful example of a teacher who's being tested with her faith as it pertains to her classroom and her students. If you've not seen the movie, perhaps find it and watch it. I mean, I don't want to give away the particular ending because it's very powerful, but suffice it to say, the teacher does not make a compromise in her faith. But in our story today, we find three young men that did not make a compromise either. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand firm in the faith. We find that we can learn a lot from these three young men. Relatively young age, we can learn a lot from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So if we're getting to leave here today, I'm going to ask you to think about one particular thought before we leave. I'm going to refer to Mark chapter 8, verse 38, which tells us that we should not be ashamed of our faith and of Jesus. Mark writes, whoever is ashamed, actually Jesus' word, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and simple generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So maybe the thought to leave here this morning to begin to ponder what's happened in this account in our lives of how we measure up is this. A few hours or minutes of rejecting Jesus may give us, in our particular life that we're living, a little relief and satisfaction, but it can also result in eternity of shame later. That's a thought maybe we should reflect upon. Father, we thank you, Lord, for 
how we can look into an Old Testament story and find faithfulness of three brave, courageous young men, and then how we can parallel that to our lives and begin to examine them as well. And, and, and ask ourselves if we would have the same courage, if we would also remain steadfast in love and devotion, if we're put to a test. But Lord, let us recognize that we're tested every day. We're tested of our faith nearly every day, Lord, and sometimes we don't even recognize it. Maybe some days it's merely having coffee with a co-worker and they'll make some reference or some swear words and we'll just let it pass without saying anything. Or maybe not even be offended. There's tests every day, Lord. I pray none of us will ever be tested to the extreme of these three young men, but let's recognize it could happen in our lives, if not our lives, then those of the ones we love over children and grandchildren. So let us today, Lord, prepare ourselves and our families of how we must tap, pass this test when it comes and to stand completely, totally committed to you, to illustrate our faith to you, Lord. Let's be brave and courageous like these three young men and stay steadfast and loyal, devoted to you. I pray, Lord, as we begin to lead into the time of reflection here this morning, that if any one of us have never made that commitment to you, we would do so today before it may be everlasting too late. We thank you for the story today. We thank you for the illustration provides for us of how we too can apply it to our lives and stay also committed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.